So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, I don't know how many of you have seen uh, this film. It was brought out quite a few years ago now, The Last Samurai. Uh, and in this film, uh, we're taken into the world of the Japanese samurai warrior. Uh, now, the samurai, if you don't know, were uh, the elite warrior class uh, during the days of feudal Japan that went for around about a thousand years um, and if you can stomach the idea of a film about the samurai uh, having a hero who's a, a white American, uh, it's a pretty decent film. Um, but as you, uh, and this just gives you a glimpse into samurai life, but um, one of the fascinating things about the film is you get a, a bit of a glimpse into that and, and to be a samurai was a complete way of life. Uh, it was about much more than being a warrior, knowing how to use a weapon uh, or being willing to die, or those things were certainly a big part of being a samurai. Um, when you took the oath of a samurai, it was about adopting an entire moral code. Uh, it was called Bushido, and it was a set of values that you were supposed to live by. It was about mastering yourself and doing things exactly as a samurai would and was expected to. Everything from how you made and drank your tea to the clothes you wore, 
to how you would speak. It was a complete, all-encompassing way of life. If you are samurai, you must live as samurai. Uh, I think there are some parallels there with the Christian life. But a Christian has not so much taken an oath as received a calling. It's God's call upon us, a call upon us to live a new kind of life with very particular attitudes, uh, behaviours and aims. But it's even more than that too because it's not simply about you choosing to adopt a particular lifestyle. Uh, It's not just a, a variation on veganism perhaps. It's about you living out your new identity in Jesus. You're a Christian, so you must live as a Christian. And so the Apostle Paul here, he writes to the Ephesian church and he says, because you've been united to Christ, that means certain things. It means you must stop living as you used to. It involves necessarily a reorientation of your life. Uh, So look at how Paul begins there in verse 17 of chapter 4. He says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. And now Paul here kind of outlines how the Ephesians would have been living before they came to know Jesus. Uh, Worshipping idols which were not real. um, Trying to find true and lasting satisfaction in human pursuits and pleasures as they indulge their senses. Chase that promise of fulfilment but never really finding any of it truly satisfying. Paul points to its futility, how no joy can be found in that way of life, or in fact for the Ephesian believers, to return to that way of life. Now, I think these are generalised observations from Paul about how the Gentiles lived. I don't think he's saying that every single person who isn't a Christian lives a completely unrestrained, amoral life. But he is saying that this is kind of the general way of life that he's observed among the Gentiles. And I'm not sure how many of the Ephesians would have wanted to argue with Paul about that. Um, Their city, Ephesus, was home to one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It's this building, the Temple of Artemis. Uh, Now, the thing about Artemis that you have to understand is that Artemis was a fertility goddess. And there's only one right way to worship a fertility goddess. The temple was rumoured to have something in the order of a hundred temple prostitutes working there. And that's where people would go to spiritually commune with their fertility god. It's one of the representations of Artemis that was found in the temple. The Ephesians were no strangers to sexual largesse. It would have been a pretty safe bet that many of the believers in the church at Ephesus had more than likely participated in that lifestyle before they came to know Jesus. And so Paul is saying to them, don't go back to what you once were because that's not who you are anymore. It's very much an out with the old 
and in with the new, says Paul. Have a look there from verse 22. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul here is urging them to put off that old way of life and to put on this new self, to recognise that they're people that God wants to change, that God is changing. In fact, people to be changed to be like a God. He, he talks here about being created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There's an all of life shift that needs to take place in the lives of the Ephesians. He talks here about uh, a change in both their, their attitudes and their motivations. He also talks about changes in their behaviour. And in fact, what follows from this point on in this part of the letter, uh, all the way through, in fact, to where we're finishing up today in verse 20 of chapter 5, is just this barrage, this pile of kind of practical, ethical exhortations which spell out what that change can and should look like in the lives of the Ephesians. He gives us lists of vices to avoid and lists of virtues to pursue. Now, there's, to be fair too much in here for us to go over verse by verse. Um, so I'm going to try and group some of this stuff together into some categories for us. Uh, and the first thing that springs out for me is how much Paul talks about how we use our words, how we speak. So look at verse 25. He says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for you're all members of one body. A little further down in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Then if you keep going down into chapter 5, verse 4, uh, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Something which might seem as simple as how we use our tongues, our words, these things matter. Not because Christians are meant to be prudes or wowsers. Not because we now take ourselves so seriously that we've forgotten how to have a laugh. But it comes back to this idea of preserving our unity and actually being helpful to other people. Of expressing love to others in how we speak. And if those things matter to us, well, of course there's no place for put-downs, for obscene language, for slandering others and running them down. That kind of language only wounds, tears down. By contrast, our words ought to be ones that benefit others, that build them up. This idea seems to be at the heart of a lot of other things Paul talks about in verses 26 to 32 in chapter 4. He mentions things like speaking the truth, controlling our tempers, not stealing, being generous, getting rid of things like bitterness and rage. And if I could try and bundle all those ideas together under one umbrella, um, I'd suggest Jesus' summary of the law would be pretty apt, that we are to love our neighbours as ourselves. 
I mean, for example, have a think about what Paul says about stealing. In verse 28 of chapter 4, Paul writes, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Stealing is wrong. Sure. Any one of the kids in kids' church over there could give you that answer. It's a classic sin, isn't it? But what makes stealing bad? Well, stealing is a fundamentally selfish activity which harms other people. And notice how Paul wants to contrast theft with what our attitude towards work and money ought to be. He urges us to earn an honest wage, not just so we can support ourselves, but so that we can also give to others in need. So instead of being people who take, aim to be someone who can give. Instead of being so self-centred that you could justify taking what isn't even yours, Paul says be so other person-centred that part of your desire in working is so that you'll have enough to generously give to those in need. We can see all kinds of different motivations that Paul puts before us in this passage uh, to help us, well, not only live differently, but to do it with the right motivation. Uh, One is a warning. In chapter 5, verse 6, he says you should want to live differently because the old way brings the wrath of God. He says no one living that way is going to have any share in God's kingdom. But in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 5, he says we ought to live differently because we appreciate and understand that that old way of life just doesn't It just doesn't become us anymore. It doesn't fit who we now are. Look at verse 3 of chapter 5. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. Now, these might sound like pretty old-fashioned sort of words, uh, talking about being proper, being, uh, things being in their right place. Um, but when you understand who God has made you to be in Jesus, that's just one of the things that you come to understand and appreciate, that these things don't become you anymore. They don't fit who you now are as a child of God. I'm sure you can remember a time when you felt out of place, like you didn't belong. Maybe it was the first time you walked into a church. Maybe it was that time you turned up to a party wearing formal when everyone else was casual or you were casual and everyone else was suit and tie. There are some things that just don't fit when they're out of place. It's obvious. And for Paul, if you're a child of God, you've been saved from that old way of living. You're now a part of God's holy people. And so it's not proper for you to live like you used to, to keep dabbling in those things. Greed, immorality, they ought not to become you anymore. Instead, we're called to live properly, to live in a way that fits who God has made us, who God has saved us to be. There are so many areas of life that get addressed in these verses. 
Um, but I think it's much richer than just a, a list of do's and don'ts. See, in the end, one of the things that we ought to be striving to do um, is not simply to uh, adhere to all of these rules, but to recognise that we're called to this because in the end it's, it's about reflecting the character and nature of God himself. Look at what he says from verse 32 of chapter 4. He says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See why is holding on to a grudge, giving way to your rage, clinging on to bitterness, not for you anymore? Well, have a think about how God has treated you. Have a think about the forgiveness that God has extended to you, the way in which you have been loved by God. That's your standard now. That's your inspiration. God himself is your measure. And God, for his part, wants to shape us and transform us into the image of his son. We're called here dearly loved children. And so we should more and more resemble our Lord and Saviour in our own lives. They say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And we often copy people uh, that we admire, sometimes without even realising it. Um, and certainly you can see this most obviously in children, can't you? Young children learn and grow through imitating the people around them, in particular their parents. Um, now, that changes as children grow. Uh, my daughters will now try to do just about everything they can to avoid acting like me. But when they were younger, it was a different story. They couldn't help it. Um, I still remember when Jocelyn was about two, she would copy whatever she saw me doing. Uh, if I was on the phone, she had to pick something up and pretend like she was on the phone too. If I was having toast, toast was the order of the day. If I licked the tub of my yoghurt, uh, licked the lid, uh, next day, you know what Jocelyn would be doing. Now, at one level, it's all very cute and flattering, uh, but it's scary too, because they will copy both the good and the neutral and the bad. Uh, and sometimes when you see yourself in your children, reflected in your children's behaviour, it's not so cute and flattering. It can be frightening. Imitation is a powerful force, and we're designed to learn through imitation. But here we're told to be people who imitate God, and in particular, to love like he loves. We're not to be people who are just recipients of God's love. That love should be reflected in our own lives, in the way we treat others. And the kind of love on view here, well, it's a challenge, isn't it? Because it's characterised by sacrifice, through forgiveness, through kindness, the, the very love that God poured out for us when Christ went to that cross. If we want to take these things seriously... We need to be prepared to keep working at it, working on ourselves. 
I think we're not going to go over them in careful detail now. We just don't have time. But I think take some time this week. Let me encourage you to go over some of those lists that you find here in this chapter. Something like chapter 4, verse 31, where it says, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, slander. Spend some time and dwell on each of those words. Think about which of those you may have learnt to tolerate for yourself. The ones you might have cut yourself a whole bunch of slack on because, well, that's, that's just the way I am. Consider them carefully. Be honest with yourself. And if you need to, bring it before God and repent of it. Seek God's forgiveness and the forgiveness of others that you may have hurt through this kind of behaviour. And resolve to change with God's help. Now, I don't doubt that, like me, you can think of a whole bunch of other people that have got more of a problem with those things than you do. But the way to make a lasting change is not by thinking about them. We each need to do business with God directly. And it's much harder to justify ourselves, make excuses for ourselves, when we're dealing with God. Now, I think there is a danger in looking at a passage like this that it, it can cause us well, to do a couple of things. One is to despair, to beat ourselves up over our failures, to have that crushing sense of guilt and inadequacy. And that may be entirely justified as well. There are times where we simply need to grieve over our sin and seek God's forgiveness for how we behaved, how we've treated other people. But let me encourage you to keep coming back to why we should live differently. What ought to be motivating us to do so? Because remember, this passage is written to a bunch of people who are already in relationship with God. People who are united to Christ. People who are saved. So we're not to, I think, read a section like this as a, a set of commandments that God has given us in order to stay in his good books. This is about change. This is about maturity for people who belong to God. And so that means that we can each work on being transformed, work on our holiness, our godliness. We can do that from a position of great security, a position of great assurance, knowing that we are loved by God, cared for, knowing that this is what he wants for us too. So how serious are you about getting rid of that old self and putting on the new? How's your tolerance for sin in your own life? Are you ruthlessly trying to weed it out? Do you really want to have nothing to do with it, as Paul says we should? Or have you gotten comfortable living alongside a few of your favourites? Are you serious about serving, giving yourself to others, loving them in the same way that Christ has loved you? Remember, you are a child of God, so live like it. Let me finish with Paul's words there from chapter 4, verse 32 on. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, 
just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love.